So we've been doing a series called Bent on the life of a young man named Joseph. We've got this week and next week with Joseph. And then we're going to shift and start a series that's going to take us through Easter, a series called Jesus Plus Nothing, all right? But as we've been focusing in on this series called Blend, Bent, we've been actually talking about a question. And the question is this, how would my life be different if I was absolutely convinced that in every moment, no matter how good or how bad it was, that God was with me? That's an unbelievably crucial question for all of us. Whether we're working through a troubled marriage, or we're trying to figure out a career move, or we're trying to figure out how to respond to a difficult person in a difficult set of circumstances, that question can change the trajectory of our life if we're willing to ask it in the moment. Now let's face it, it's easy to ask the question outside of the moment. It's easy to ask it when you're a couple of days removed, but asking it in the moment is unbelievably difficult. And we've been watching Joseph battle through difficult and confusing times. And what has sustained him through the journey is just this deep, abiding confidence that the promise of God and the premise of God and the presence of God far outweighs his ability to be able to interpret his circumstance. And let's be honest, most of us think we do a good job of interpreting our own circumstance. But the reality is this, when I interpret my circumstance, I'll tell you what happens to me. I I end up just getting very quickly to a place of isolation and loneliness and absolutely believing that no matter what's happening around me, that God has somehow forgotten about me. And then I'm isolated and alone. But Joseph, this young guy, 17 years old, no matter what happens to him, he just seems to be sustained by this unbelievable, unquenchable belief that God is with him. If you've missed any of the weeks so far, I'm going to catch you up in about four minutes or less. Okay, ready? So here's the last seven weeks, all wrapped up in a couple of minutes. This is what we've learned so far. We learned that Joseph was a favored son. That Joseph's dad, Jacob, played favorites in his family, and it caused a huge rift between Joseph and his brothers. We learned that Joseph was a dreamer. God would speak to Joseph in dreams. He also gave him the ability to be able to interpret dreams. But there was a problem, and the problem was this. Joseph used his spiritual gift in an immature way. So in week number one, we saw Joseph get two dreams, and instead of being humbled by those dreams and using them for God's glory, he instead took them, threw them in the face of his brothers, and it just made the rift in his family grow even deeper. The rift got so bad, we learned that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They were going to kill him, but then in a moment of, of moral consciousness, they made a different decision. Okay, let's not kill him, let's just sell him instead. Let's sell him to a group of slave traders, and they sent him off to Egypt. They sold their brother, faked his death, and broke the heart of their father. And throughout most of the story, Joseph is isolated and he's alone. But this is what we also learned. We learned that Joseph experienced God's presence in confusing times. And we talked about the tension that comes. Because all the way through the story, Joseph is alone, he's in a pit, and then he's in prison. But the Bible has the audacity to say, but God was with him. And we're just like, no, 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 that's not, that doesn't make sense. God's not with Joseph. If God was with Joseph, good things would be happening to the good guy and bad things would be happening to the bad guys, but that's not what we experience at all. And we just had kind of an aha moment when we realized that bad stuff happens to God's people all the time. But what sustains them is just this unbelievable confidence that God is with them. Just when you think it can't get any worse, we find Joseph was put in prison for making a godly choice. He's working for a guy named Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar actually gets the hots for Joseph and makes a sexual advance towards this young man. 
And, and, and he actually ends up paying a price for doing the right thing. For doing the right thing, he's accused falsely of rape and ends up in prison. And last weekend we learned Joseph wasn't in prison for three days or three weeks or even three months. He was in prison for somewhere between 11 and 13 years. That's not a short process. As Joseph is bent into a man who's just absolutely confident that even in prison, God is with him. Well, last week we found Joseph in prison, but we found him actually faithfully using his gift with a couple of cellmates. Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker show up in prison, and Joseph gets to use his gift with these two guys. We saw him use the gift, and what we learned was that Joseph was being faithful in the middle of a difficult season of life. He could have withheld the gift because he was ticked off because it appeared like God was with, wasn't with him, but instead he just decided to engage with his gift. And so he has a dream interpretation for the cupbearer of Pharaoh, the top dog in Egypt. And, and if you remember the story, Joseph interprets the dream, and the dream means he's going to get that the cupbearer is going to get his old job back. So he tells this guy, in three days, you're going to get your job back. But could you do me a favor when you go? Don't forget about me down here in this prison. In fact, Joseph says, remember me. But as we learned last week, the cupbearer got out of prison. And guess who he forgets about instantly? Joseph. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 41. Very first verse, the Bible says this, when two full years had passed. Okay, don't just gloss right over top of that. So he does the right thing with his gift. He shares interpretation like he's supposed to, and he still ends up in prison for two more years. Two more years of confusion. Two more years of question. Two more years of God bending his character. And then one night things begin to change. The Bible says that one night Pharaoh, the top guy in Egypt, has a dream. The dream's about cows. Okay? You have weird dreams. Apparently Pharaoh is not exempt. He has weird dreams too. And he dreams one night that out of the Nile River come seven fat cows. And the seven fat cows are followed by seven skinny cows. And then the seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows, which is weird because cows are vegetarian. Okay? You, don't, you think your dreams make sense? Right? Okay? So Pharaohs are messed up too. Pharaoh wakes up. It's just like, what in the world was that? I must have eaten too much beef. I mean, something made him just dream too much. He goes back to sleep and he dreams again. This time he has another agricultural dream. He dreams that, that on a stalk of, of wheat, there's seven healthy heads of grain. But beside the seven healthy heads of grain, these seven scraggly, you know, wind-torn, sunburnt, skinny heads of grain grow. And then the seven skinny heads eat the seven fat heads. And one more time, Joseph, or Pharaoh, kind of wakes up. He's like, what in the world is that? I mean, I think he's got a gluten allergy or something. Okay, so he wakes up, and it's like, I don't understand what these mean. So he calls his magicians and his advisors out of bed, and he tells them the dream. And they're all standing there going, I don't know what it means. Do you know what it means? And as we learned last week, okay, when you don't have a good answer for Pharaoh... Your job security is not in a good spot. You don't believe me? Ask the cupbearer and the baker, all right? And they're all looking at each other going, I don't know what he's talking about. Do you know what he's talking about? And in that moment, an amazing thing happens. Standing beside Pharaoh is the cupbearer who got sprung loose in the story we learned last week. And he's holding the cup, and Pharaoh's up there going, does anybody interpret dreams? And the cupbearer's like, oh, yeah. 
And the Bible doesn't say it's exactly how the conversation goes, but I think it kind of went like this. I think the cupbearer went, okay, hey, boss, all right, um, you don't probably remember this. It happened a couple of years ago, but one time uh, I, I spilled, okay, and you got really, really ticked at me, and you sent me to prison for a little while, and, and I don't want you to remember too much about that whole deal. But while I was in prison, I met this Hebrew kid, interesting guy. Had this crazy story about his brothers faking his death and sending him off into, into slavery. And, and, and he didn't speak very good Egyptian, you know, but we were able to communicate just about enough. And, and I had a dream one night, and he was able to interpret the dream for me. In fact, he told me that my dream meant that in three days you were going to give me my job back. And you did. And, and I'm deeply grateful for that, Mr. Pharaoh, sir. And, 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 and even though I don't really want to remind you about the fact you threw me in prison, I was just wondering, if you're looking for a dream interpreter, I think that Hebrew kid's still in jail. And the Bible says this is what happens in verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So Pharaoh has a moment. It's like, you need to get that Hebrew kid out here. And in a matter of minutes, Joseph is pulled out of his prison, showered and shaved, and finds himself standing in the middle of his moment. Have you ever had a moment like that? It's the moment where you're in a job interview and you realize that every single word matters. And if you mess it up, it's the difference between being employed and unemployed. It's the moment when you get an opportunity to do the sales pitch in front of this boardroom full of guys and ladies wearing power suits, and you realize if you mess it up, they're not going to put any venture capital money into your company, and you're going to end up walking out exactly the same way you walked in. It's that moment when you have to make a presentation about being able to do a master's degree or a doctoral degree, and you realize that all those academics sitting around that table, if you get one word wrong, you're going to miss your moment, and you're going to end up doing what the rest of us have to do, which is get a job, you know? It's that moment when you realize you're having a conversation with your spouse, and that conversation is either going to define or destroy your marriage, and every single word matters. It's that moment when you know you're either going to receive Jesus or you're going to reject Jesus. It's your moment, and this is Joseph's moment. Everything is hinging on this conversation. He gets it wrong Back to prison or worse. He gets it right. He has no idea what's coming. He's standing in front of the most powerful person on the planet. Just minutes ago, he was organizing criminals in an Egyptian prison. And now, there he is. Verse 15 tells us what happened. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it. But I've heard of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret. Okay, this is the part of the movie when the tension starts to build. I mean, this is the moment. It all comes down to this. How Joseph responds to Pharaoh's request is either going to make him or break him. This is where the pressure builds, and this is what I love. Joseph refuses to buckle under the pressure of the moment. Have you ever noticed how people change when they're standing in front of somebody that they're either intimidated by or in awe of. I mean, people just change, right? All of a sudden, they're kind of starstruck. And they change. They just start stumbling all over themselves. They talk different. I mean, I've seen people 
you know, they meet some B-list celebrity, and all of a sudden their voice changes. And they're kind of like, hello, how are you? You know? It's just everything all of a sudden shifts. And it's not about, I wonder if this person, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say to this person. It's how would this person want me to respond if we were going to become best friends forever? And suddenly they just start tripping all over themselves. And they'll say anything to draw that person. They'll compromise on a conviction here or there to draw that person. They'll shift their view to a safe one just so they don't blow their moment. This is Joseph's moment. If he wanted to, Joseph could have said this. Pharaoh, you need a dream interpreter. You got the right guy. I've been honing this particular skill in your prison for a number of years. In fact, more than a decade. I have practiced on your staff. I mean, I, I know exactly how to interpret this dream. I'm going to be able to stand and deliver whatever you want. So you just lay that dream in front of me, Pharaoh, and watch me do my thing. He could have. And you know what? Old Joseph would have done exactly that. Look at me. You've got a need, and I can meet your need, Pharaoh. Old Joseph would have said that, but not the Joseph that's been bent. I know Joseph didn't buckle because of what he responds with. So, you get this? Okay, make sure you get it. Pharaoh says, I need somebody who can interpret my dream. Joseph has the ability, but look at what he says in verse 16. I cannot do it. Eh, wrong answer. Come on, Joseph. Didn't anybody prep you for this particular moment? I mean, this is your moment. You need to, haven't you ever heard, fake it till you make it? I mean, nobody else knows how to interpret this particular dream. Just stand up and say something. What, just don't say you can't do it. I mean, this has to be your moment. You're completely missing it. I mean, nobody else knows what to say. What do you have to lose? I'm sure everybody in the room was like, what did he just say? Whoa. Bad call, Joseph. It says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. Okay, don't miss this, because this is absolutely hilarious. I want to remind you of something. Joseph's talking to a guy who thinks he's God. The Pharaoh thought he was a deity. He thought that he was in charge of absolutely everything. He has ultimate power in Egypt. And suddenly, there's a little Hebrew dungeon rat standing in front of him saying, Sorry, Pharaoh, not going to be able to help you out. But God, who apparently you aren't, you bald little Egyptian man, apparently God can give you an answer if he feels like it. And just for good measure and remind you one more time, you are not God. Why would Joseph say that? Because he's absolutely confident that in every circumstance, whether good or bad, that God is with him. So, I mean, he says, I cannot do it, but God, whom you are not, can if he wants to. And I'm sure everybody in that moment would have been like, knock it off, little Hebrew boy. You need to just tone it down just a little bit. Little Egyptian in the corner pulls out a guitar, starts singing happy trails to Joseph, you know. A cooler Egyptian on the other side starts singing another one, bites the dust, you know. And, and then they all join in together. Na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye. I mean, just like, you're out of here. 
You're welcome. Okay, so. I mean, do you notice something in Joseph, though? He's no longer the cocky, arrogant young man. No, he's, he's just doing what anybody would do. If they were absolutely confident that God was with them. Just write that down. Joseph had a new boldness. I can just hear Joseph playing these tapes in his mind. God was with me when I blew it with my dreams. God was with me in the pit. God was with me in a prison. And now he's having his moment and he's still thinking, God is still with me even though I'm in a palace. And I'm so confident that God is with me that pleasing him means more to me than pleasing the little bald man in front of me that thinks he's God. See, Joseph knows something. Joseph knows Pharaoh is not in charge of his destiny. People, do we understand that your boss is not in charge of your destiny? Do you know that nobody, no other human being is in charge of your destiny more than God is in charge of your destiny? Why do we give so many people so much power in our lives? God's the only one calling shots in this story. And you've got Joseph standing there in front of the most powerful human being making a statement. God has bent me. He is with me. Which means I am more consumed today with pleasing Him than just telling you what you want to hear. I love that boldness. What did we learn in week three of the series? We learned this. When God's people live as if they are absolutely confident that God is with them, people notice. Pharaoh notices, so he asks this guy a question. Can you interpret my dream? Verse 25. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh, so the one about the cows and the one about the grain, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And what comes out of Joseph next is absolutely amazing. Joseph tells Pharaoh, here's the deal. Seven years from now, there's going to be an unbelievable famine coming in the land. Cows are going to be skinny. Grain is going to be shriveled up and gone. There's going to be no food in this entire country. It is not going to be good for anybody. But before that famine comes, you've got seven years to get ready. You've got seven years when you need to put away food. You need to get your nation ready because everybody's going to be starving and they're going to come to you looking for help. And this is what we see in that moment. Joseph has a new discernment. And he's using that discernment to speak with truth and boldness. He's speaking as if he's absolutely confident that God is with him. And it's amazing. Joseph, this little Hebrew dungeon guy, starts making economic advisory comments to Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt. He says, this is what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to create an advisor. I need you to reshuffle your cabinet just a little bit and make sure you get the right people uh, you know, to be a part of, of your particular committee that's going to run this whole thing. And then I have some agricultural reforms that you're going to need to do because you're going to need to like, overplant everything for the next seven years. And, and then I've got an economic, you know, an economic uh, recession-proof plan that's also going to look after the following seven years. I mean, he just starts laying all of this stuff out. Not bad for a guy that 30 minutes ago was running a group of criminals in a prison. He lays out this plan. And verse 37 tells us what happens. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So they're all standing there looking at each other going, well, that sounds like a good idea to me. I mean, if this guy says there's famine coming, we, we better get ready. We better prepare. None of them had an answer for anybody. And I was like, yeah, let's go with what the Hebrew guy said. Hard to understand him through his accent, but, you know, 
he seems to have more of a clue than the rest of us do. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all of his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? Basically, he's saying, could I, could I order about 10 of these? This guy's really good. One in whom is the Spirit of God. And there it is. Joseph has a new bent. There it is. Joseph's no longer an arrogant dreamer. He's no longer a convict. No, he's just a humble, confident guy who knows who his gift belongs to and how to bring glory to the gift giver. And he's just standing there acting like anybody would act if they were absolutely confident that God was standing there with them. Verse 39. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all of this known to you, okay, that's a huge statement from somebody who just 30 minutes earlier thought they were God, right? Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And in a matter of seconds, Joseph goes from being in charge of a prison to being the second highest, most authoritative power in the greatest nation of the earth. I mean, God had prepared him all the way through, and all of a sudden, he's thrust out on this stage. And you would think in that moment, Joseph would just be wrapped up. I finally arrived. I finally made it. I mean, I, I get all my hard work has finally manifested itself in this moment. But that's exactly the opposite of what happens. Now, Joseph just sees this new opportunity as another way to be aware of God's presence. He's like, I was in prison. God was with me. Now I'm in a palace. It's okay. God's with me. It doesn't change anything. How many of us have had that moment where everything came together for us? We got the promotion. We got the new car. We got the grant money. We got the academic approval. We got it. And in that second, everything came together for us in that moment of conversion. But all of a sudden, the God who was with us all the way through is suddenly pushed to the side and all of the preparation that he took us through suddenly was the hard work that we did over the years as we crafted our own destiny. Have you ever heard that before? How many of us, we have that beautiful, beautiful moment and God was with us all the way through, but then when we finally arrived, suddenly it's just like God... You need to step aside and get out of my spotlight. This is about me. How many of us have had no problem trusting God when it's tough, but we struggle to honor God when it's going great? I mean, how many of us have no problem handing it all over to God when we don't own very much? I mean, I'm a, a broke college student, right? I've got like a 1988 Honda Civic. It's being literally held together with duct tape. I've got a coffee mug collection. And I mean, it's no big deal. It's all yours, God. All that I have is yours. And Jesus is just like, you can keep it. That ain't much right there, you know. How many of us, and we just lay it all down. And then, and then 
life happens and we begin to accumulate more stuff and, and our name goes onto a nameplate on the side of an office and we start thinking that it's all about ourselves. How many of us in that moment struggle to hand it over when we're suddenly standing not in the place of nothing but in the place of abundance? When we got nothing, we cry out to God, but suddenly when it's all good, we're just so tempted to forget God entirely. This is what I love about Joseph. He knew this new platform was no different than the platform he had in the prison. And in the prison, palace, no biggie to Joseph. I love the fact that God, Joseph's not afraid to bring God into this moment. I mean, he's standing in front of an Egyptian pharaoh. It's not politically correct to bring up Jesus. It's not socially correct to bring up Jesus. It's not culturally correct to bring up Jesus. But Joseph boldly speaks the name of God to a man who thinks he's God and risks his entire future. Why is he so bold? You've heard me say it so many times. Because he's absolutely confident that God is with him. This past week, I'm out for lunch. Group of business people, you know, are just kind of hanging out for lunch with, you know, I know a guy that's sitting at the table and we're just kind of hanging out together. And when I get there, what I realize is these guys are actually going to strike a business deal while we're just sitting around this table. And I didn't know three of them, and so I'm shaking hands and being introduced, and I'm just kind of sitting in on the whole thing. And, and I'm thinking, well, this is kind of an interesting deal. And, you know, and the meals come, and they get, you know, sat down there, and and then everybody grabs their fork, and, and as everybody's going to, to spear in, one guy at the table says, you know what, um, could we just stop for a second? I think we should stop and thank God. And everybody puts their fork back down in slow motion, you know. And what I realized real quick is about 80% of the people around that table, they don't know Jesus at all. And here's one guy who said, you know, I, I just think we should say thanks to God because this is his food. We're all his people. And if this deal goes down, he's the one that thought of it. And it's everybody's just like, you know, because <laughs> that's normal, right? You know, in a business environment, that's what we do all the time, right? We just stop and pray in the middle of everything, right? One guy speaks the name of God. I'm sitting at the table in my heart going. <laughs> Just one bold human being. So let me ask a question. College student, do you have the courage and the guts to be the one person in your classroom who may be standing in front of a professor someday who's teaching you biology and spending all of their time trying to deconstruct this Stupid thought in your brain that God actually exists and made something. I mean, would you be the one young person who will actually stand up with courage and boldness and say, excuse me, ma'am or sir, with all due respect, I believe God made monkeys. Businessman or woman, would you be the one person who will speak up in a meeting where it's not politically correct or socially correct or culturally correct 
Would you be the one person to stand up in the midst of the meeting without being a jerk and without being that pretentious Christian person that we've all met at some point? Would you be the one person that actually say, I want to make sure the credit goes where credit's due? And I just want to acknowledge I wouldn't be breathing if God hadn't allowed me to breathe today and most certainly wouldn't have thought any of these business concepts if God wouldn't have allowed me to do that today. I just want to make sure credit where goes where credit is due and I just want to thank God. I mean, for all of us, would we have the boldness to speak out if we had absolute confidence that God is with us? Now, I just want to speak really boldly to those who are in the room right now when I talked about standing up in class or standing up in the boardroom, if your heart cringed, can I tell you something? I believe you are failing the test of prosperity. Because you haven't worked a day unless God said you could work a day. You haven't had an original business thought unless God put a business thought in your mind. You would be absolutely nothing without him and the fact that we would even think of pushing him out of the very blessing that he's put us in the center of, how in the world would that possibly make sense? Chuck Swindoll said during the waiting period, it's simple. You trust God and refuse to panic. In the reward time, it's simple. You thank God without any pride. Let's close with a couple important truths. Okay, let's wrap up with this. First one is this. All the character bending that Joseph endured to this point made perfect sense in his moment before Pharaoh. I mean, all of a sudden, Joseph's standing there in front of the most powerful guy in the world, and the powerful guy has just put Joseph in charge of his entire kingdom. And Joseph's standing there, and I'm sure in the bottom of his soul, he was going, okay, so that, that's what this has been all about. So it wasn't punishment after all, it was preparation. Boy, if I can survive in a prison, if I can survive in a pit, I'm sure I'm going to be able to survive in a tower. Okay, God, so all those nights by myself, they were just preparing me for this moment when I realized that that little bald guy in front of me is not God, you are. So, okay, God, so this was the moment. You, you, you've, been, you've been setting this up the entire time. Because now, I honestly don't care what that little guy thinks. And I don't care what everybody else in the room thinks. I'm just confident right now that the same God who was with me in prison is going to be with me when I'm working in a tower. You know, I went back through my journal of the last couple of weeks and I just started writing out all of the phrases that kind of summed up Joseph's journey. I wrote down the holiness of loneliness when he's all alone. I wrote down what do we do with the pain from making godly choices. I wrote down, what do you do when you get your gift wrong and then you get your gift right? I wrote down, where are the deep questions when it seems like God is absent? I wrote down, how is it that all of the tough stuff suddenly makes sense when we're in a moment and we realize that God may have been silent, but he was never, ever absent. 
can you do me a favor right now? Just I, I have no idea where you're at this morning. I have no idea what happened to you on your way to church today. But could you just take a, a spiritual moment and spin a spiritual 180? Look back over the entire part of your life. And look for every place where you see a fingerprint of God. And if you say you cannot see any fingerprints, I want to remind you of something. If you are breathing upright and taking nourishment, God has been with you every step of that journey. So just take a moment and just picture. And understand and acknowledge that God's been with you. That's why you're here. Today. Here's the last little piece and then we're done. God uses bent people to bring about his divine purpose. And I want you to notice something. It doesn't say God uses perfect people. Aren't you happy that's true? God doesn't use perfect people. God uses bent people. Here's what I know about your life. In the next seven days, you're probably not going to get out of the door more than five or six hours, and you're going to have a moment today. And my question is this, are you going to handle your moment differently if you're absolutely confident in that moment? Whether it's a good moment or a bad moment, are you going to handle it differently if you're absolutely confident that God's with you? I have no idea what it is. You don't know what mine is, I don't know what yours is, I mean... We're pretty clueless when it comes to what's coming in the next five or six hours, right? But are we going to handle it differently? If in the moment we can ask the question, how would I handle this differently if I was confident that God was with me? I promise you, if you ask that question in those moments, that everything will change for you. I'm not promising palace to anybody. You may be in prison for years. question is, will you be wherever God has you, with or without the confidence that God is with you? So businessman or woman, you're going to have an opportunity this week at some point to give credit where credit is due. My prayer is that you'll have the same boldness that Joseph had. I mean, he's standing in front of Pharaoh, acknowledging, Pharaoh, you're not in charge of me. So I'm not going to try and impress you. I'm just going to be faithful to the God who's walked me through all of this stuff. College student, middle school student, high school student, you're going to have a moment, I promise you, and your friends are going to be standing around you in a circle, and they're going to be asking you to go in a direction you know you're not supposed to go. And my question to you is this, will you make a different decision if you're absolutely confident in that moment? So next week, we're going to wrap up two months with Joseph. We're going to jump all the way to the end of the story. And we're going to find out whether or not he's really been bent or not. This is going to be his test. Next weekend, Joseph's going to come face to face with his brothers. And he's going to have means and opportunity to exact revenge. And we're going to find out whether he plays God or whether he follows the example of God in the way that Jesus dealt with us when we came face to face with him. Don't miss the last three minutes of the movie. 
you've come this far. Don't miss the answer. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this morning and an opportunity to see you at work in an incredible young man. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone in this room today who doesn't know Christ personally, and I pray that they would not leave this place until they're absolutely confident that God is with them. God, I pray for everyone in the room who's going to have a moment this week when we're going to have an opportunity to choose between boldness or cowardice. And I pray we would choose boldness because we're absolutely confident that God is with us. So Lord Jesus, we welcome the moments that are coming. May they shape us as we continue this glorious, glorious journey. The journey of being bent. And we give you all glory and honor and praise. And all God's people said, Amen.